It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So did you do anything fun last week or recently? I gotta say, my best part of last week was... um, (laughs) This is so ridiculous. But back in the day when we were lifeguarding, we would, you know, close up the pool and head to the local Sherry's because we were on a 21. We couldn't come to any place besides Sherry's. And we'd go and have, it's 10 o'clock at night, we'd have coffee and fries. Oh, So, yuck. But I met one of my girlfriends that I used to work with at at our original Sherry's. Yes. I had a fry or two, but we didn't have coffee. <laughs> I did. Um, they have wine. They serve wine now. Oh, wow. At Sherry's. So I had fish and some wine. And I was a little sad because I had to have a code to go to the restroom. Oh, you have to punch wow. in a code now at Sherry's. So, yeah. but anyway, it was just nostalgic. It was oh, very fun. Cool. So, I love yeah, that. Was fun. How fun. My husband, Ryan, told me about a story he heard on NPR about a Brazilian writer, Vanessa Severo. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. She wrote and performs in Frida, a self-portrait, which is currently playing at Portland Center Stage here in Portland, Oregon. My girlfriend went and saw that. Oh, cool. Yes, yes. Okay, well, I was curious. I watched a video on YouTube on her, and Vanessa talks about eight years ago, a friend gave her a huge compliment. And said she had a lot of Frida Kahlo in her. I guess Vanessa was blown away by the compliment and decided to research Frida's life. And she's been drawn to her since she was a teen, apparently. But Vanessa's admiration for Frida grew and uh, has spent five years writing a, this play. She even visited five years. Yeah, oh vis- my gosh. visited Caf- La Casa Azul, Frida's house in Mexico City. Frida, you know, is a celebrated Mexican artist, best known for her self-portraits and focus on indigenous artifacts mm-hmm. that are in her paintings, as well as her bold use of colors yeah, her bright colors. and depiction of pain. Mm-hmm. Frida was born in 1907 in Mexico City and died unexpectedly at 47 from pneumonia, which I didn't, I just learned about that. She suffered from polio as a child. It was um, in a terrible bus accident as a teen. She began painting during this time while she was in a full-body cast. Vanessa felt a strong connection after researching Frida and said she felt seen and understood. Vanessa draws parallels in her play between Frida's story and her own life as an artist and as a person with disability. She explores the physical nature and pain within herself and Frida. She wanted to tell Frida's story because Frida was unafraid of any challenge. And she felt like we need to draw upon strong women like Mm -hmm. Frida for inspiration. And even as Vanessa states, we might have to look to the past for it. My favorite, one of my favorite stories in Manzanita is packed with Frida stuff right now. Okay, cool. They they, check that out. They need more Rosie the Riveter, but um, a lot of a lot of Frida right now. Very cool. I love that um, Vanessa points out that she's the first woman to do selfies. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That was funny. But uh, Frida was definitely ahead of her time. She painted boldly about marriage, politics, Mm -hmm. infidelities, pain and loss. 
It's probably why her paintings are so relatable even today. The play is set on the eve of Frida's death, and it's a, it's a solo performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds beautiful. I'm definitely intrigued, and I might have to check it out. I just admire Vanessa's... Maybe that should be off. how we celebrate our... Yes. Or, um, what, 25,000 listens Listens. pretty soon. Yeah. Downloads. Downloads, not listens. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. There we go. But I just admire her dedication to creating this unique look at Frida's life so that we can celebrate this Mm -hmm. icon. And I definitely see the similarities in these two women. Both are vulnerable, unafraid, yet strong and bold in their expression of art. I totally feel the girl girl power in these two. And a good example. I mean, you've got two girls. So, great example for young girls growing up for sure awesome i got this book recommendation hooked how crafting saved my life by i'm curious who recommended that like through my amazon (laughs) you like this book okay okay i got it i got it have you heard have you heard of her i haven't at all i hadn't i I am obviously not i don't get the same suggestions uh, but she has starred in several Broadway shows, such as Thoroughly Modern Millie, in which she won a Tony as her role hmm. as Millie, and then Anything Goes, and like Grease. I mean, she's been a ton of Broadway. And then TV shows, Bun, Bun Heads, and Younger. The title just resonated with me because I come from a family of crafters and makers. Which kind of surprises me. I'm not much of one myself, but... My dad's mom, Nana, we called her, she needlepointed beautiful canvases, Christmas ornaments, I was going to bring some, and um, napkin rings. Mm. My mom sewed clothes when we were little, and Halloween costumes, and made Easter baskets, and the grass, I mean, tons of crafts. And my sister- I remember my mom, uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt, like, the night before Easter, like, I heard the sewing machine, like, humming with her trying to hurry and get the- Easter baskets done. Oh, sweet. I know. Good memories. Good memories, yeah. Yeah, my mom is super crafty. I try to be crafty too, but I, I can't compete. My end result isn't good, but my sister's crafty. I mean, she used to make clothes for my kids when they were little. She quilts. She knits. She also needle points, which I think she really does have a problem. She goes to conferences on the <laughs> weekend. And when I was visiting her last April, she has um, a little room off to her off her bedroom, and she's probably working on twenty plus needle oh points at a hilarious. time. And then Ryan's side of the family, his his grandfather, which we call Papa, also needle pointed beautiful pillows. Like he did like the Escher kind of pillows, and then mm-hmm. he did stools, and he made stained glass windows. Lamps, boxes. Wow. Um, Talented family. I know. You know, Ryan makes his surfboards yeah. and he yeah, used yeah. to make polar fleets monsters for the kids when they're little. So I totally, <laughs> totally get the phrase creative outlet. So I was just curious about this book. Hooked is a memoir of Sutton Foster. Her I life. love that name, by the way. Sutton. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very cool name. It's a good acting, I mean, good staging, mm-hmm. right? She talks about her acting and singing career and how she found crafting as a way to manage stress and anxiety, um, helping her process Ooh. difficult times of grief and loss. In her I life. need to take up some crafting. I know. I know. <laughs> she talks openly about her unusual upbringing. Her parents did not show affection to each other or to their children. So they it wasn't a household of hugs and I love you. Mm-hmm. There, as well, they had mental health and illness that kind of ran in their family, too. So, But Sutton was born in 1975 in Statesboro, Georgia, and was raised in uh, Detroit, Michigan. She has an older brother, Hunter, 
which is also kind of a cool name. I was going to say that Hunter. same thing. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, you know, and the early years were the golden years that she described. Life was good. Her mom liked to cross-stitch. I used to cross-stitch. Um, that she, probably surprises you. Oh, really? I did. Precious Moments. Remember oh, Precious yes. Moments? She talked I would about that loved. in the book. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. She writes about seeing her mom sitting, cro- you know, cross-stitching with a cigarette hanging around. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> I don't think so. And... You know, her mom showed her love in, like, she really talks about this strawberry shortcake bookmark that her mom cross-stitched when she was eight. Uh, I guess Sutton was a huge strawberry shortcake fan. Remember those? The, like, hair smell? Like, in the blueberry. Yeah. Blueberry one? I need to look those up. Yeah, so. Speaking of nostalgia. Nostalgia, for sure. Her her mom lovingly stitched this sweet little red-haired girl Mm -hmm. with a poofy hat bonnet, frilly apron, and she even had Sutton's name at the bottom. Oh, and so Sutton kind of reflects and later realizes that her mom made things as tangible proof of mm-hmm. love, even though she didn't say the words. Which I, you know, I can imagine it's incredibly hard to process as an adult. I can't imagine as a child trying. I don't to, think you can process you can, it as a kid. No. You know, make that correlation. No, but painful. Her dad too also loved using his hands and had you know grew a beautiful garden. He'd experiment like green peppers, corn, okra. His pride and joy is these beef steak tomatoes. I guess they were almost the size. I mean, they, he grew them to be the size of a of a, a piece of bread because in the <laughs> South, the white bread, a smothered mayo, and huge steak tomatoes is a popular sandwich. I guess her mom oh, loved them. The, the, that sounds disgusting. The, the, the tomato sandwiches. Tomato sandwiches. <laughs> her, her mom, though, recognized early on that Sutton and Hunter loved performing and got them involved in local theater their first production was A Christmas Carol. Mm. And she also got Sutton into like jazz and tap and ballet. Her parents were involved. I mean, they would be. So, a, another way they should love. They should love. Being very yeah, they, okay. were, they were there. They weren't but, huggers or. But they were maybe the doers and yeah, the servers. Yeah. But they show up with in, to the performances with flowers, balloons in mm-hmm. hand. They host like pizza parties after the performance at their house. The dad would make props for the stage. And it was kind of the glue, you know, in the family. And uh, Sutton writes about, like, when her mom stopped cross-stitching and her dad stopped gardening. It's when the family really came undone. Mm. Uh, You know, anxiety ran in her family. Her mom was agoraphobic, so she didn't like to leave the the house. And her mom would go through periods where she'd be icy and give the the family the silent treatment. Mm. Things got especially worse after Sutton finished sixth grade and her... Uh, family moved to Detroit, Michigan, and her brother went off to college. Her mom's agoraphobia became really acute, and she wouldn't leave the house much. And Sutton's mom was, you know, became really, you know, even though she was, like, really overprotective and cold, she still encouraged her acting career and found the Will Rogers Follies. Uh, Sutton was about, you know, a senior in high school, so seven, 17 or 18. She got the gig, which, uh, as she writes, though, she wasn't ready for this because mm-hmm. she's, it's her senior year, so she only had two classes to graduate, so she's going to do correspondence, but then she's thrown into this I still feel tour. like she's, this is, Will Wad- Rogers, I, I feel like is earlier time. She's our age. She is, but this was like a, like a, a Follies, kind mm-hmm. of like a dedication oh, okay. Okay. type of thing. Okay. And so she's thrown into this, you know, traveling across mm-hmm. the United, you know, country for the first time by herself, and... The girls on this tour were older, and they were not welcoming. And um, she tried to fit in, like, be friendly and, you know, to no avail. Um, and she kept trying to follow her mom's advice. Stay sweet and smile. 
By the end of the tour, she had a major panic attack on stage. She was able to finish the last scene, but collapsed and ended up in the ER as a result. Um, But that experience really impacted her. And two years later, she was the understudy for Sandy in Greece. And the actress playing um, Sandy didn't want Sutton watching her when that was her job as the understudy, which I don't understand. Just being snotty? Yeah, or, just being kind oh, of snotty. Yeah, mean girl. And so she decided, you know, I'm not going to get involved in the politics of a theater group or worry about these cliques. Instead, she went to Joanne's. You know, she thought of her mom <laughs> cross-stitching. And she, okay, but this reminds me, remember the diver last summer? Oh, yeah. Who he would sit there. He was crocheting or knitting right. or something on the sidelines. That's okay. how he dealt with stress, stress. too. Well, I think there's something very meditative yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so she decided... She goes to Joanne's. She goes to Joanne's. And she <laughs> decided to make her mom a Christmas gift to do these little Victorian house. And, I made my mom one year, I can't believe I did this, a felt... This just reminds me of this, a felt tree skirt. Oh, cool. With the nativity scene. Oh, so my goodness. My, you can picture, yeah. like, all of the parts. Wow. Yeah. Did she sew them on or... Hand, hand, hand snow, so, so yeah, with like the sequin. sequin. So you oh, go up yes. and you have the little okay, bead, and then you have to come well, back I have, down. I have some, um, those were the kind of uh, uh, my ornaments that my nana oh, okay, made. Okay. Were those Christmas ones. So with I'm with your nana right there. And the bead <laughs> yep, the sequin. Yep. My sister was into yep. that too. So. You... Yeah, I missed that. I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but uh, so her days off were spent cross stitching, it gave her purpose behind performing. <laughs> And, you know, because she's an extrovert yeah. as a performer and in control. Like, yeah. she knows her lines. She can get into her part. But mm-hmm. off stage, she's an introvert, and she felt completely lost. The cross-stitching was a nice outlet for the stress of the touring. And I love how she describes it in the book as her gateway craft. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like her entrance into the crafting. But um, oh, later... Um, <laughs> She was asked to actually play Sandy on the Grease tour because cool. the, yeah. the gal that was playing that was sick or and mm-hmm. they had to replace her. Um, Karma is what I would say because she was a yeah. jerk. But um, but she strained her vocal cords because, you know, she didn't. She wasn't. wasn't well, she hadn't been practicing but, for it. Yeah. So then she had to take a two-week rest. So, again, what? She's scared and she's anxious. <laughs> so what does she do? She goes to Michael's <laughs> and she teaches herself to crochet. And she found it really satisfying to crochet, mm-hmm. and you know, she healed, and she made a scarf. So Sutton also found it as a way to connect with people. Um, while turning t- touring with Annie as Star to Be, I guess as a cameo role mm-hmm. in the twenty the twentieth anniversary production, she decided to make a blanket for her mom's dad, Dada. Unfortunately, he did not appreciate her acting or the game. <laughs> He's a grumpy old man, but. Um, you know, I guess her mom didn't have a good relationship either. You know, as I read this book, I just loved how her creative outlets change and transform. It kind of became symbolic of our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sutton all had been a doodler since her teens. And she's always was drawing this girl with big eyes, flowy hair, always wearing um, a floor-length dress. And she says, so she doesn't have to draw her feet, but... The girl would be looking off in the distance and her hands outstretched, reaching towards something. And Sutton always thought that that girl she drew was her. So later, when she was on tour with um, at, at playing uh, Epo, Eponine uh, in Les Mis, she made a mosaic of this free-flying girl. Now, she's doing this mosaic in the hotel, okay? So she's got, she got a two-by-three Because she's not busy enough being a performer? Yeah, she painted the girl, and then she used glass shards to create this mosaic. Oh, my gosh. And I just love how she described each piece 
of glass represented something, a fragment of who I was, who I wanted to be, parts looking for a hole. Yes, mm, I, I just, love that. I do too. So Sutton left the tour and then moved to LA. She, that's where she got the big break is Millie. And, you know, again, it's like she's not, she's, even though that show was a hit, she should be on top of the world, but she's, you know, unhappy and anxious. And she's also worried, did I inherit my mom's antisocial genes? <laughs> you know? And you would wonder, you though. Would wonder. If, and yeah. it's not helping things because at this time, her mom is really like not leaving the house. And she's all of a sudden be- become obsessed with the internet and is looking for Sutton's reviews of her performances. Oh, my gosh. And sending them to her, you know, mm, which is not good. No. So Sutton's boyfriend at the time had given her some colored pencils. And so she started drawing like circles. Um, they kind of to look kind of almost like DNA strands, mm, mm-hmm. kind of representing that gene worry in her. And at the same time, she met her um, met her dresser Julian Harvard. So the dresser would just like get you in and out mm-hmm. of scenes, but they mm-hmm. became really good friends. And he was also an artist, and so it began this really long friendship. But in between scenes, they would just sit on the floor and draw and share mm, their that's art, cool. which I think is probably one of her favorite. Parts of parts of it, you know, and that's what a lovely way of just enjoying the ride too. Mm -hmm. You know, doing something and then getting those times where you're where you could be stressed, but just enjoying that moment with somebody. Exactly, exactly. And then her next creative outlet, she made what she called the divorce blanket. So she, this (laughs) it's kind of like pieced together. So she ended up marrying the boyfriend, and they were married for a a couple years, and. they left on pretty good terms, but mm-hmm. they end up getting divorced. And so she turned back to crocheting and made this divorce blanket, which was this square with this hot pink flower in the center. And then uh, the, it was rimmed in dull green, you know, kind of represented a, a promise of something blooming, you know. Mm-hmm. She made 100 <laughs> squares that she lugged around in a black hefty bag. Oh, that's hilarious. So I just, so she, okay. I just love the, the, how her art pieces represent a specific time in her life, you know, in her journey. After the heartbreak and wanting the new challenge, she went back to L.A., and that's where she did bunheads. Um, she bought her home, first home, a 1969 uh, bungalow, finally had a place for all her craft supplies. I'm sure it's adorable. Yeah, it sound, sounded cute. And she made a collage representing this new chapter. So she tore magazine strips and craft paper she methodically glued these thin strips, uh, pieces on plywood and took, took time over a course of several days. But she found it very meditative. And finally, uh, the letters in pink and red and orange created the word badass, which she hung proudly in her entry. Ever That's the name of the book I'm reading yeah. right now. Well, codename badass. Yeah. But. So Sutton talks about that word badass, what that really meant to her. And it started back when she was 16. She watched a PBS series, Sodom, is it Sodom, him? A celebration at Carnegie mm, Hall. I have no idea. Where, they first, where she first saw Patti Lapone sing Being Alive. She was just mesmerized by Patti's confidence and her performance. And later they became a, a friend, a mentor, and she even interviews her. And that's part of the book. Hmm. But I love how, uh, I love art that incorporates a word or a mantra. My mm-hmm. Lucy made me a painting. During, I still need to COVID. see this painting. It's, it's just with the word hope. Which I um, love. I've yeah. been in a store at the beach that had had the, had the word. And so she made it for me. Mm-hmm. This kind of different hues of blue. I just, I mean, I love it because she made yeah. it. But I just, it also is a nice way of reminder. Yeah. Th- to kind of focus on absolutely. that word. But, and even better that she made it. Yeah. 
So Sutton created another collage with the words you rock inspired by an email she got from her mom because her mom sent her an email that just said you rock, which hmm. I think is really kind of a neat turning point mm-hmm. in their relationship. Apparently, her mom started taking uh, Xanax. Her dad was prescribed for it for quitting smoking. Okay. <laughs> and it had a positive effect on her, and she kind of wished that she saw, sought and help d- earlier. Well, that's way better than her looking up reviews. Right. <laughs> it's more positive. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, it was neat to read, read after all those years of not being close that her and her mom repaired their relationship, which I just always find that inspiring yeah, people absolutely that broken relationships Mending. even yeah. if you're later in life yeah that you're able to repair it and i'm just highlighting some of the fun and that goes back to your yeah. thing with hope i mean yeah. it's just inspiring that there's always that hope that the they hope. can reach out and right. mend yeah and i i love this book and i'm only highlighting a few because i really hope people read read it i just admire sutton's openness to share her mental health journey at times painful and how she uses art the feelings of, you know, anxiety and pain. And we talked a lot about at other podcasts about mental health and especially those in the spotlight. Hopefully it will create more awareness and erase the stigma associated with it. Especially because these people have everything. Yeah. So if they're struggling with it, how are the rest of us not supposed to at least have it right. somewhat, you know, yeah. affect us? I also thought it was uh, inspiring despite her upbringing that she learned from her parents that like working with your hands is therapeutic and a way to show love, you know, mm-hmm. but you, and I think that's a perfect example how you, you show by example. I mean, you show, yeah. even though you may not use the words, but you can show through other. That's how you're, it's a love language. It's a love yeah. language. Yeah. And uh, creating art, I think is such a healthy way to process anxiety and, mm-hmm. and pain and stress. I mean, there's so many alternatives. Well, I, mean, I love healthy. the concept with yeah. the gateway, the gateway craft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. <sighs> And I just love the backstory that each art rep, each art piece represents. And what I think at the end of the day, what a cool collection to have of all these different pieces oh, that yeah. represent these moments and times of your life. Um, the book has like cool recipes, crochet blanket instructions. And she has broken oh, away from just following crochet.com. Mm-hmm. And she's like able to, she's like made peng, a penguin crochet, <laughs> which it sounds, I mean, that's kind of hard because they're built. Kind of hard. They're Hello. Built on like a square form. Mm-hmm. So to take that and, and put it into a different, you know, like an actual something else yeah. other than just your typical square. I just, I'm fascinated <laughs> by it. I might try it myself. I don't know. She even has a pattern for a little baby blanket that's badass in oh, there. Oh, that's cute. But it really kind of made me think, oh, maybe I'll p- pick up my doodling. Again. Oh, yes. yes I yes, doodle I think when that's I was awesome. Kid, so I don't know. I want to see some of your doodling. Yeah. That's awesome. Art enables us to find ourselves and lose ourselves at the same time. Thomas Merton. So Veterans Day, which is November 11th, is coming up. It's a national holiday in America honoring the men and women who've served in the United States Armed Forces. Honestly, I don't believe that these people get enough recognition. I mean, yeah. we both agree with that. Well, I don't always agree with how the American military has been used, I have great respect for those who have served. It's dangerous work, and so many Americans have given their lives, limbs, vision, mental health is affected for sure, and just many other sacrifices. The toll on these warriors can be extreme, and not only them, but their families. Exactly. So whether it's the loss of a loved one or a separation for months or even years, 
it's just difficult on families. My mother-in-law's father left to fight in New Guinea, and he didn't get to meet her. This was during World oh, War II. Yeah. They didn't even, he didn't even get to meet his own child until she was two years old. So there are just yeah, a lot of sacrifices huge. the men and women of our armed forces make that rarely get recognized. Most of the time when we think of veterans, we think of people who are actually engaged in combat duty, whether as a frontline soldier, pilot, sailor. Right. All these positions are obviously important and the most dangerous. There are many other personnel that make the missions possible. I'm reading that book about yeah. Virginia Hall, the limping, um, oh, yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. Oh, she's the one with the, the wooden leg, leg. Yeah. during World War II. Oh, she yeah. worked, um, she was an SOE, she was a spy yeah. for the Allied forces. Yeah. So anyway, we'll have to talk about that yeah, on another day, but oh my gosh, such a good book yeah. about her. But anyway, all these positions are important and obviously the most dangerous, but there are other people also making the missions possible from people that maintain the tanks, ships, aircraft, the medical personnel that tend to the wounded, staff clerks who get everyone paid. Right. All those Yeah. All of it. Commanders who make the decision. It just takes many different types of people in many different types of jobs to support the fighting men and women of our armed forces. So one of the most unsung heroes in military are the code breakers. Oh. And while they've had a few nods in the movies in the past yeah. years, and I'm hoping that they're going to do a ton of movies on this. Oh, sorry to keep going yeah. back to Virginia Hall, yeah. but I'm hoping that they're going to do some movies yeah. on these ladies yeah. because and men too. I thought but. there was a movie about her and a group of women. Oh, I hope so. I need but, to look that up. Yeah, I can't if remember. So I I'll need to see it, it I'll like you, tomorrow, this weekend. Yeah. I'll so um. The Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch was very good. But they focus um, usually on the spies who act on the information, not the people who are breaking the codes. That was huge. It was huge. No, no. I mean, Julie Parson, who just turned 100 in March, was one of those code breakers. She attended school at Carnegie Tech, which is now Carnegie Mellon University. She graduated in 1942, which is when my mother-in-law was born. Just as America was entering into World War II, she answered an ad in the paper seeking women to join the military as volunteers and was hired as a Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Services, or the acronym was WAVES. Wow. (laughs) The purpose of WAVES was to free up men from uh, non-combat roles by filling those positions with women. In most cases, these were clerical jobs, but for others, the jobs were a bit more specialized. After three months of training in WAVES, Julia was sent to a communications center in Washington, D.C. The officer in charge of her group asked if anyone in the group spoke German. And Julia said she had two years of high school German. And so she raised her hand, and apparently that was enough. Wow. I I took German one year, but I couldn't say my Would not raise your hand, no. So Julia was made part of a very select group of women tasked with decoding German submarine communications. In an interview with the AARP, Julia said, that hardly qualified me for much of anything in the translations line, but they sent me right off to the section where I worked decoding the German submarine traffic, which is what I did until the end of the war. Wow. The work was top secret. The women working in this section were told not to talk to anyone, which for obvious reasons about their work. Julia would tell anyone who asked what she did, she just would say she had a boring old desk job, which would be really 
That'd be really hard. You got this kind of spy. Exactly. You you want to tell someone, but you can't. Her roommate worked for the same division, but decrypting. They could talk to each other. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, Maybe, but you never yeah, know. Like yeah. with this book I'm reading, you just yeah. double agents and stuff. It's scary. Her roommate worked for the same division, but she was decrypting Japanese communications, and Julia would not discuss her job even with her roommate. Oh, okay. So she took it seriously. Yeah. They never mentioned their work to each other. Julia Parsons' job was to decode intercepted messages between German submarines and the German high command. These often included mission objectives, locations, destinations, rendezvous points. This allowed Allied forces to more efficiently attack German submarines, which were wreaking havoc on the Allied naval vessels and supply ships. The Germans used a code machine called Enigma. And if, like I said, with the imitation game, it's all about the Americans and the British trying to break the Enigma machine code, which they eventually did. The Germans thought their code was unbreakable, and that arrogance obviously cost them dearly. In the latter part of the war, Julia said that the Germans thought their code was unbreakable, and German submarines, known as U-boats, would surface and then radio the German high command for instructions. They'd relay their coordinates, which waves like Julia, would be able to intercept and decode. She remembers decoding German messages that were like, every time we surface, within 30 minutes, there are planes attacking us. I think they're reading our messages. Then the German high command reply would be something like, that's impossible. (laughs) Julia said it was their own stubbornness that did them in because they didn't believe anybody could read their codes. That's how we got our best clues. They kept using it, which is, you know, we were very happy about. It was like doing anagrams every day or crossword puzzles or something, she said. It was fun, but also frustrating in that she was sworn not to talk about it. That's the part that would be so hard. You're doing this really cool job. At the end of the day. But you can't talk about it. She said she honored her oath long after the war. The code work she did during World War II became unclassified in 1960. She talked to everybody. Yeah. You'd think she could, but she still didn't. However, it wasn't until 1997... So, a few years later, when Julia and a friend went to the National Security Agency's, NSA's National Cryptologic Museum in Maryland, there, to their shock, they saw on display the top-secret bomb machines, an early form of a computer on display at the museum. It was during that trip that they found out they were finally free to talk about their experiences in World War II. Julia remains it's adorable I just think it's adorable Julia remained silent about her role during World War II not even telling her parents for over 50 years wow thank goodness she finally could but on a side note Julia describes not having too much time for social life when she was working as a code breaker during World War II she um, however managed to slip into a party that was a reception for members of the armed services from Oklahoma Julia, who had never been to Oklahoma, went to the party with a false name tag and ended up meeting the man who she'd end up marrying before the end of the war, who did also happen to be from Oklahoma. On March 2nd, 2021, the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, celebrated Julia Parsons' 100th birthday with a parade in front of her house. When asked about her feelings on reaching 100, Julia said... Don't ever admit you can't do anything if you haven't tried to do it. Old people just kind of accept their limitations and drop out. My whole theory on on my longevity is that I just kept telling people I can still do that. 
awesome. Awesome. I love it. So I mean, my favorite part, getting to know you better, and it is almost Thanksgiving. So what's your favorite part of a traditional Thanksgiving meal? I would, we always make Brussels sprouts. That's my favorite. Oh. That's not really I'm traditional. I'm trying to like Brussels sprouts, I and I just Brussels can't. Sprouts, but, oh. You know. But mm. I like the mm. other stuff, too. I am jealous. Because Brussels sprouts, really. <laughs> okay. okay. It's good for the mom. It's good for... Um, oh, it, they're so good yeah. for you. That's yeah. why I keep trying to like them. Do you mix up your food, or do you keep it separate? I keep everybody separate. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they're all... <laughs> me too. Um, if you could get rid of any Thanksgiving food... What would it be? I'm not a fan of cranberry sauce. Oh, really? I don't mind a dash of it, but mm-hmm. like I just, yeah, I just want a little teeny bit of it. Yeah, I get like that. A big chunk of it. Or, I, I get that. Or, Do you have a favorite Thanksgiving memory? Well, growing up, my dad and I always did the dishes together. Oh, because we do it on my mom's china, but her china and mm-hmm. silver, you know, like silver. So we, you know, we'd always do that. Mm-hmm. Be in there, you know, doing the dishes together. So mm-hmm. I just enjoyed that. Good memories. Good memories. If you could invite anyone famous, or I guess anyone past or present, anyone at all, to your Thanksgiving dinner, who would it be? This year? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll, this year. I'd probably invite my parents. They're both mm-hmm. gone, so I'd invite them to come. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. My painting carries with it its message of pain. Frida Kahlo. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.